Welcome to the One Wish, One Step podcast, your one-stop shop for everything involving inspiration, advice, and a general sharing of experiences and stories, hosted by Shruti Chari. I'm here with Yasmin Diara. Thank you so much for being a guest on the One Wish, One Step podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. So you're joining us from Boston. How's it going over there? It's good. So it's actually my first um, summer in Boston. I moved almost a year ago now. So I'm still getting used to to the vibe and the scene around here, but mm-hmm. it's a cute little city and I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah. So going off of, you know, you being in Boston now, I know that you went to Northwestern for your undergrad. Can you explain a bit more on why you were drawn to that university and why you picked that one to be your school? Yeah, definitely. Growing up, I grew up with a really diverse background. I'm a dual citizen. My parents are from Senegal. I grew up speaking French as well. Mm. Um, And I always knew there's so much more to the world than just like this Southern California bubble. Mm. And I know there's so many great schools in California, especially state schools. And it might be hard to look a little bit further and look beyond. But I knew I really wanted to challenge myself, expose myself more, get to Mm. meet new people. So I was already looking at colleges that were out of state Mm. um and funny enough northwestern i call northwestern my safety school but that sounds very arrogant but i really wanted to go to the university of chicago Mm. um it was such an appealing school to me and i was like you know what it might not be too bad to also just end up in chicago just in case but upon further researching at northwestern and seeing what they're all about I really loved their liberal liberal arts model, Mm -hmm. and I was someone with many interests. I love learning all sorts of subjects, and their Weinberg College of Arts and Sciences would really enable me to explore so many of those interests while still maintaining a high level of academic rigor, Mm -hmm. and that's what initially drew me to Northwestern. Awesome. And did it have anything to do with also your major? I know that you were part of global health. Uh, What got you into that? You mentioned that you were interested in many different things, but when it came time to actually pick one, how did you choose that? And how was Northwestern the best fix for that? Yeah, funny enough. So um, my academic background sounds like a whole jumble of things, but this is actually really common at Northwestern. So Mm -hmm. I was a pre-med student and I actually majored in French and minored in global health. And I don't know any other school you could potentially do that. I had friends who were studying biomedical engineering and who also had a theater minor who were in the School of Music, but also studying Middle Eastern and Northern African studies. You could really um, have such cross-cutting interests and also study them in an academic setting as well. So at Northwestern, the major that you apply with actually almost means nothing in the Weinberg School, at least. It's actually very easy to transfer majors, add on minors, and actually transfer between schools, Mm -hmm. including like the engineering school, the School of Communications, and and the journalism school, um, with a few exceptions. But basically, once you start at Northwestern, your major means almost nothing. You kind of start taking classes in the direction you want to head in, Mm -hmm. um, but you really have until your junior year to declare your major. So you're really encouraged to explore to take things that seem interesting to you of course there's some core competencies that you have to achieve um, by the time you graduate but that flexible model really enabled me to be like wait like I can actually be pre-med major in French and minor in global health and Mm -hmm. and still be able to 
have research opportunities and internships and other outside learning opportunities that would really complement my academic setting. Awesome. Do you have a favorite class that you took? Yeah, funny enough, um, well, one of them, like, so strictly academically, one of my favorite ones was a translation theory class I took mm. that was really applicable when my first job out of undergrad, I was working in Geneva in Switzerland for an organization called Gavi and doing a lot of bilingual policy work. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very useful <laughs> to know a ton about French to English and English to French translation, even though it's um, my native language. And then I'd say coming in second, um, my senior year, I had the time to take um, U.S. gay and lesbian history, which was just so interesting mm -hmm. to learn foundationally from an academic standpoint and kind of learn how to be an ally in the space with some of those historical foundations. Wow, what a broad range of classes. <laughs> so, man, Switzerland is an amazing place, one of my favorite uh, places that I visited. But with, with your French major, um, what were kind of the opportunities like that or the prospects of having the French major? And how did that allow for you to avail various internships in different countries? Yeah, definitely. So I was initially drawn to the major because of my ethnic background. I was really curious about learning post-colonial thinking, philosophy, and history, but from, I thought it was very important to be able to study some of those texts and philosophies in the native language instead of reading translations. Mm. And after a certain point, when you're majoring in a language, you're not actually learning the language anymore. You're actually like reading history, reading literature in French. It's, it's no different from doing kind of like a history or an English major. You're not learning grammar anymore. You're not learning sentence structure anymore. You're really just being fully immersed in that language. Your lectures are in that language and you're writing papers in that language. Mm -hmm. So it was very appealing to me to have like structured francophone time only for me. And that was really stimulating um, to my brain. And then in terms of opportunities that followed, um, since it was a small department, they were really supportive and providing external lecture series, internship, amplifying internship and fellowship opportunities. Um, but funny enough, most of my um, extracurriculars and my career and internship building process was more so geared towards global health because I knew that's what I wanted to do post-grad, even mm -hmm. though I was academically studying French. I see. So why didn't you do like a French minor instead? Was there a reason why you chose that to be your major? Yeah, so as you're <laughs> backtracking a little bit, I said I was pre-med, mm -hmm. but I, I really came in with the intentions of being a biology major mm -hmm. um, because I was a naive high school student once and <laughs> didn't know that like if you want to study medicine, you have to do biology. But the, the matter is that to complete your pre-med prerequisites, um, mm -hmm. all you have to do is complete the coursework. So I kind of reached a point with the biology and the chemistry coursework where I was like, going any deeper than what I need to do to potentially get into med school wasn't interesting me as much anymore. And it was really granular and, you know, really learning about enzymes and looking at these micro processes in the mm -hmm. human body yeah. that I realized, like, that's not actually what I wanted to do. I wanted to focus on health, not medicine and mm -hmm. not biology. Right. So learning to distinguish those was really important for me, um, but I was kind of at a point where I had committed so much time to some of that coursework that it was hard to 
pivot to the global health major, for example, which has some high burden of study abroad requirements that would have been hard to complete um, in time. Okay. And what kind of classes did you take as a with the global health minor? And what were some of your favorites within that? Yeah. Um, so there's a high emphasis on kind of research and study methods, which are really critical to global health and understanding how to ethically engage in global health research, which I found was really important. Um, other classes include like the social determinants of health, like the intro to maternal and neonatal health. Um, one of my favorite classes was bioethics, though, and I, I thought that was a really important class to understand the ethics of global health and mm. the potential for detriment in the global health sector to learn how to practice responsibly as a researcher or in my career in general. Hmm. Do you have any clubs or other fun things that you did in, in college that you look back on and still remember? Yes. Um, one of the more impactful extracurriculars I was involved in was called Gold Med. And Gold Med has many dimensions to it. Um, but one dimension of it is kind of curating a space on campus for social justice, as well as global health learning outside of the classroom and really creating a brave learning space to engage with sometimes tough topics. Mm. Um, so part of that is learning, but part of that is learning how to facilitate and create a community on campus. And I thought that leading that organization towards the end of my tenure at Northwestern was really memorable. Wow. I want to go more into your background and your ethnic heritage because I think that's very unique and I assume that would impact your interest in, as you said, the language and um, also with social justice as well. So can you talk a bit more about what your upbringing was like and how that impacted what you did in college and now maybe what you do to this day? Yeah, definitely. My parents are from a country called Senegal in West Africa, um, but on my father's side, um, his mom is Vietnamese and his dad is Senegalese as part of this crazy colonial war story. But in essence, um, when Senegal was still a colony, um, it was very common to enlist some of their African um, counterparts into the French army and go and occupy other colonies, which mm -hmm. sounds crazy to say out loud. <laughs> um, but pretty much once the, the French lost footing in Vietnam, if you were associated with them in any way, it was pretty much um, you would be imprisoned, you would be killed, or you had to leave. So my grandma came back to West Africa <laughs> with my grandpa. Um, so I think that portion kind of really interested me in, in colonial history. But yeah, my, my parents immigrated to the U.S. about 25 years ago. I grew up in Southern California, um, speaking French, didn't have much family around, so it was pretty common for us to visit between France and Senegal to see family and spend time with family. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents did a really good job of making sure that like my brother and I had a strong cultural anchor, knowing our heritage, knowing where we would come from, speaking the language, being able to communicate with our family was really important to them. Yeah. When it came to attending Northwestern and being so far away from your family, did you feel comfortable there, especially when it came to diversity and meeting new friends? What would you say was the social atmosphere there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my, funny enough, me leaving home was harder for my mom than it was for me. I think 
she was the one ironically who prepared me for like to be out in the world even mm-hmm. though she had a hard time letting me go i think they 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 really raised me to be inquisitive and to embrace learning and meeting new people and learning how to engage in new environments mm-hmm. so when it came time to go so far away from home i felt that i was ready for this opportunity and just wanted to take it in stride and and t- seize every opportunity that came my way Um, in terms of the environment at Northwestern, um, being black, especially in Southern California and more so in the suburbs, um, I was never in the majority. I was always used to being in the minority. It was just kind of navigating the different types of minority dynamics per se between, you know, Chicago, which is in the Midwest, and then in, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked the environment at Northwestern. We're about... 8,000 students undergrad so it's about 2,000 students per class which i believe is like a medium sized campus mm-hmm. but i went to quite a small high school um so i didn't need to go to like a huge school or anything yeah. but northwestern was always big enough that i was meeting new people but always small enough that i always had familiar faces around me and was able funny enough to kind of connect the dots between people and be like oh you know this person oh like why haven't we met sooner <laughs> like <laughs> it would it would have made sense right but the in terms of the social atmosphere i would say there is a huge ambiance and spirit of like social impact and social change at northwestern mm. people always were starting passion projects and leading really cool initiatives and leading organizations and you know pushing the boundary on what was possible not just in the confines of what people always do but there's always a way to figure out if you want to do something at Northwestern there's someone who will support you and there's a way to get funding for it and really help things like take off. Hmm. What about when it came to your class sizes? How how large would they get? How small would they get? Was it a lot of lectures, a lot of tests? Um could you maybe take us through? I know it probably depends on when it comes to like French or global global health, but maybe for both of them like what what was the structure of the class and then how large were they? Yeah, so for some of the hard science classes, especially in the beginning, um it's it's funny to see how class sizes get smaller and smaller even for some of those mm-hmm. core science classes just semester or quarter to quarter. I don't know why I said semester wrong the quarter <laughs> system. But how the class size shrinks quarter to quarter even after midterms, how the class size begins to shrink as people start to drop off. But for those hard sciences the stem classes like biology chemistry math um it's pretty common to have larger class sizes i think the biggest ever is maybe around 250 and you go to lecture every day um or three times a week depending on the class mm-hmm. um and then it's pretty common to have a lab that goes along with that class which mm-hmm. can be anywhere from 2 to 4 hours depending on the level and depending on the science mm-hmm. and then it's pretty common to have what they call a discussion section um which is a sm- much smaller size maybe around 10 to 20 um and that's usually led by a TA instead of the professor and that time can be used in a variety of ways sometimes it's used to issue quizzes sometimes it's used to go over practice problems sometimes it's used to go over um lab basics it really varies so that's the the various combinations you usually get with stem classes mm-hmm. and then for some of the liberal arts classes like the french global health the history um those classes tend to be a lot smaller and are usually capped at 15 maximum 
Um, the smallest class I've taken had four people in it, and it was actually really engaging and really enjoyable because the professor was so excited about what he was teaching, and mm-hmm. that really enabled me to engage more and more passionately with the subject right. as well and really like put forth my best self. So it, it really varies. Um, and like I said, also with some of the liberal arts classes, it's pretty common to also have um, a discussion section to review the readings or the material. Um, it depends. Hmm. Which one did you prefer more, the larger or the smaller classes? It depends, really. I always had a good mix of both since mm-hmm. I was kind of studying both. Yeah. So I never felt drowned out. There was always a balance to what I was doing, which was really nice. Sometimes if I was having a harder quarter, you know, some of the French classes would help balance it out. And it was like a sigh of relief to, like, <laughs> to take a breath in between all the number crunching and all the midterms that come up so quickly and all the hard science stuff. Um, I can't say that I preferred one way or another, but I adapted to both and, you know, really established my learning style for both and my study style for both as well. Hmm, that's great to hear. When it comes to your classes, so I know that I asked you before your favorite class, but do you have your least favorite or, or most challenging one that you took? Yeah, <laughs> for <laughs> sure. Most challenging, um, hands down, had to have been organic chemistry. Ooh. Like, what an adventure. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very rigorous at Northwestern. I'm sure everyone who takes organic chemistry says that about their respective school, but... Wow, it was really hard to conceptualize the material because you're being taught so quickly on the quarter system and there's also some intentional weeding out of students who are on the pre-med track as well. Um, So it was definitely a sigh of relief when I finished my three quarters of organic Mm -hmm. chemistry along with their labs because, wow, um, definitely something I'm most proud of um, finishing that through. (laughs) Um, And then... My least favorite class was probably Renaissance poetry that I had to take in French. Um, It was a major requirement. Um, And like I said earlier, I was more so interested in the modern aspects of, Mm -hmm. you know, post-colonial thinking and stuff like that. So Renaissance literature was not, (laughs) didn't fall within what I was passionate about, but kind of just had to power through it. Um, to get the major requirement out of the way. Mm. So with the liberal arts majors, are there a lot of tests or is it more project-based? Like if you're learning about things involving history, is it lectures? What is the structure when it comes to those classes? I would say it even depends on the department. So for example, at Northwestern, chemistry and biology, which are sciences, Mm -hmm. are actually in the liberal arts college. So they still have to take two years of a language or test out of it. They still have to take um, core competencies in six different areas, um, whether it's history or English or whatever. So funny enough, even some of those hard science degrees are actually a BA instead of a BS, which is funny enough. Hmm. But speaking more so to some of those arts-based classes, they would usually rely on essays. Sometimes it would be two essays throughout the quarter and then a final essay, or sometimes Mm -hmm. it'd just be one essay and then a final essay, um, depending on the professor and, you know, the volume of knowledge and how much they would expect you to know. 
Got it. So following your graduation and having this major and minor, how did you navigate life after and especially when it came to finding a job? Great question. It wasn't easy for sure. And I was kind of scrambling between like how soon do I apply to medical school? Um, What are some skills I want to strengthen? Do I want more research experience? Do I want a fellowship? Should I um, you know, start working right away. It was really hard to make some of those decisions. So I kind of cast a wide net. I knew that if I wanted to go to medical school, I would still need to take at least one gap year and just wasn't ready to apply, you know, my, my senior year. Mm-hmm. But I cast a wide net. I applied to meet like a handful of research fellowships, a handful of, um, regular jobs, um, and then was kind of talking to some professors as well um, for just like research assistantships. Um, and basically what worked out is that I got a position at Gabby the Vaccine Alliance um, as a consultant. So mm-hmm. just started working right away. Nice. Do you have any tips when it comes to applying for jobs, especially in this certain uh, sector of STEM when it comes to things they're looking for in interviews or in your resume or, or whatever it might be? I'm honestly not the best at it, Um, but I think, I know everyone says to network, but something for me, networking was so hard for me to understand and to learn. Like, my parents taught me, like, you know, you just work hard, you get things done, and, like, I was very, like, by the book at first. Mm -hmm. Um, But networking isn't as scary once you realize there's really no rejection aspect to it. You're just kind of talking to people, getting to know their role, their position, scoping out if there's opportunities, mm. etc. One thing I would say not to do is don't do things just because other people are doing them. I think this can often be a trap for consulting jobs like at Big Ford Consulting or like the McKinsey's and the Deloitte's and, and stuff like that is a really common job um, because, well, it provides... A lot of financial security but um usually people burn out pretty quick there but yeah like i said don't do things just because people are doing them like really take the time to explore your options and make informed decisions based off of like what type of situation or position you're in and going along with that i would say don't going along with that i would say don't take advice from people whose life you don't want like Mm -hmm. i think it's very important to identify mentors and role models who are along the path that you want to achieve, but it doesn't make sense to, you know, map your whole career or whole life off of someone whose life you don't want. And that might seem intuitive, but there's a lot of, especially at a school at Northwestern, there's a lot of being ambitious for the sake of being ambitious. And Mm. it's common for people to fall into that trap and maybe they'll look back a year later, two years later and be like, why did I do that? I didn't want to do that. I don't yeah. enjoy what I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm lucky to say I really do enjoy what I'm doing. And most of it is on luck, um, equal parts luck and hard work. My mom always says that, like, being lucky is just, like, being prepared for opportunities that come your way. So mm-hmm. I think I was, I was ready when they came my way. Oh, such great advice. So going right into doing things you love, what are you doing now? What are you working on? Uh, what are your thoughts when it comes to med school and all of that? asking the big question. Um, But like I said, I'm currently based in Boston. Um, I work for an organization called Last Mile Health, which is an an NGO that partners with 
ministries of health in sub-Saharan Africa to design, implement, and scale community health worker programs. And those types of programs are designed to reach people, what we call at the last mile, but essentially those who live in rural and remote communities that are either five kilometers or about an hour away from the nearest primary healthcare facility. So we do a variety of activities, um, but essentially um, work to train community health workers to deliver integrated packages of primary health care to those who don't have access to it. Wow. So within my organization, I work as a strategic partnerships manager, um, which I really love because it's so cross-cutting. Mm-hmm. My The core of my work um, is to facilitate our relationships with multilateral organizations and um, large financial institutions or implementers, um, some of them including the World Bank, Gavi, my former employer, <laughs> um, the Global Fund, the Global Financing Facility, as well as government organizations like USAID or FCDO with the British government, um, to name a few. Um, But I I really like this role because in addition to working on some of the external partnership side, I also um, am able to shape some of our advocacy efforts um, for policy and um, norm setting within these institutions, as well as really get to be hands-on with some of our program design elements with our country programs. Wow, that seems incredible. You are using your degree to, to help better the world. Wow. Uh, exactly. So uh, if you're comfortable sharing, though, do you think that you will pursue medical school or are you, are you just like content with where you are? I mean, you seem to be doing great, so you don't even need to go there. But uh, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I ultimately, maybe about a year ago, made the decision that med school wasn't quite the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, for many reasons, but mainly because, as I touched upon earlier, kind of like understanding the difference between health and the difference between medicine. And of course, I could do both and do like an MD, MPH type program, um, but figured I'd have a better value for my time as well as my happiness if I um, pursue an MD and go to medical school. Although I applaud all my friends who are doing I'm going to have like 30 friends who are doctors and I wouldn't have it (laughs) any other way Um, but really valued the experience I was getting and didn't want to so abruptly take a pivot back to such a you know hard science um, academic background so right now the plan is to apply for MPH programs what I which I'm currently doing this cycle um, and really leverage some of those foundational public health learnings to get a little bit more technical in my potential future roles. Hmm. How is the application for for that, uh, for for applying for a master's, how is that different from maybe undergrad as opposed to that? I'm trying to remember what undergrad (laughs) undergrad was like. I can say that I'm a lot less anxious. Uh Um, I remember being a senior in high school and just being so nervous and so fearful of rejection and so the, there was so much unknown that was really hard and having the pressure from parents and teachers and peers and you know whether we like it or not there is a certain elitism to pursuing a secondary degrees um, mm-hmm. and furthering your, your education um, so like you know all the school ranking things and stuff and I went to quite a competitive small high school so there's a lot of toxicity in that mm-hmm. um, 
the background for the process essentially is having a statement of purpose or a personal statement, mm-hmm. um, having three letters of recommendation and providing a CV or a resume. And that's pretty much it, along with transcripts, of course. But mm-hmm. it's pretty straightforward, especially once there's you realize there's nothing you can do. Like Things are pretty much out of your control at a certain point, and you just have to present your best self and I would say have a strong understanding of what you want to get out of your degree. Good advice. Well, wrapping this up, I could ask you questions for hours, but just to wrap up everything you've done and based off of your experience, um, what advice would you give to a high schooler who wants to pursue global health like you and and have an illustrious career, but is is stressed and scared for for the uncertainties that come with that? What advice would you give? Yeah, great question. I would say the thing about global health is that there's it's such a cross-cutting discipline. There's so much you can do in global health. And global health encapsulates, you know, financing and economic aspects. It, you know, also contains some political and policy aspects as well as, you know, the classic international development aspects as well. So don't limit yourself. There's so much you can do within this field and you should never be scared to stop learning or be scared to be wrong because that's inhibiting your learning. Mm -hmm. Um, Mentors are always a great idea. Identifying people who maybe have a position that you find really interesting and learning more about that and learning how they got there. Um, And like I said earlier, making the best informed decision for yourself, not doing things because others are doing it because there's so much more to that once you realize that you don't have to do things on the right path and there's no right way to do anything. Well, what a great way to end. I want to finish off by asking you a question that I like to ask all my guests. And since you are so well-rounded, I'm interested in knowing your take on what is your one wish for the future and what is one step that you're currently taking or hope to take to get there? Wow. Um, my one wish for the future is equitable access to healthcare for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of race, gender, geographic location, any demographic um, data point, health equity is so important and access to health is a human right. So that's my one wish. Um, My one step, I could say the job I'm doing, I could say that I'm, you know, pursuing an MPH and all that, but I think me alone being a black woman with my background and my life experiences really pushing the boundaries on what is possible within my team, my workplace, my organization, and within these multilateral institutions will hopefully drive things forward in the right direction. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing your story and enlightening us. I I feel so much more educated when it comes to global health. And thanks again for, for weighing in. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to listen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the One Wish, One Step podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to follow One Wish, One Step on whichever platform that you're on and follow the Instagram at One Wish, One Step. Also, make sure to share this episode with a friend or family member who you think could benefit from it. I look forward to seeing you next time on the One Wish, One Step podcast.